Hello, and welcome to Spooky Saturdays, episode number seven. In this episode, we're talking tricks and treats, so let's dive right in. The sugar rationing during World War II and hard times in general during that time slowed the celebration of Halloween when many festivities had to be canceled. But after the war and the end of rationing, Halloween parties and going door to door came back more popular than ever. Treats at parties in the early days of trick-or-treating included homemade popcorn balls, cookies, apples, and some candies, but you were just as likely to get nuts or coins as loose candy corn. Some residents weren't fans of the practice of trick-or-treating and would drop a rock into unsuspecting trick-or-treaters' bags. I got a candy bar. I got a lollipop. I got a rock. <laughs> I, I probably misquoted it a little bit, but I do love Peanuts. That's, that's such a great cartoon, uh, both on newspaper and in animation. Um, but anyway, soon the baby boomers were born and trick-or-treating spread like crazy. The traditions of door-to-door begging and disguises were reborn and now cemented in American culture as modern-day trick-or-treat. In the early 1950s, some clever candy companies started advertising their products as great treats for neighborhood kids. We also saw the first mini candy bars on the market, possibly as a suggestion for trick-or-treaters. Cereal companies produced mini packages of sugary cereal to offer as treats. While many kids wore homemade costumes, the first plastic store-bought costumes became available. Characters from television shows were popular, such as Casper, the friendly ghost, the friendliest ghost you know. Though grown-ups might look at him with fright, the children all love him so. He's Casper, the friendly ghost. Oh, you can tell who was my favorite. (laughs) Zorro, or Howdy Doody, and the ever-popular Witch. Many of these boxed costumes boasted that they were flame retardant and had large eye holes for safety, which were improvements on the flammable paper designs of the past. Many people let their kids out on their own to trick-or-treat back then, trusting in their neighbors and the world they lived in. In 1966, the animated special It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown aired for the first time, and Halloween TV specials were soon to become a new tradition, a modern version of ghost stories. By the 60s and 70s, Halloween was quite mainstream, and my friends and I were riding the wave of Halloween bounty prepared by the generations of revelers that had came before us. That was the author speaking, not me. (laughs) Neighbors filled pillowcases and plastic pumpkins with prepackaged candy that was now being mass-produced just for the occasion. Both in plastic store-bought costumes and homemade costumes, youngsters took to the streets and ended up with armloads of wrapped candy. Occasionally, trick-or-treaters did still get homemade treats, such as popcorn balls and even some coins. By the 70s, most houses in many neighborhoods were participating in trick-or-treating. Hinged paper cut-out decorations in the windows and carved pumpkins greeted the hordes of kids collecting their spoils. It never occurred to any of the kids that they had anything to worry about, but soon parents announced that they would be inspecting the piles of loot before kids could eat the first piece. There were stories of people tampering with treats, reports of razor blades in apples, and poison or drugs in candy. Parents were scared for their kids, and some of the community trust that people felt on Halloween had been tarnished. In these cases, most people heard the initial reports but had not heard the outcomes of these stories when it was later discovered that the cases reported were perpetrated by the trick-or-treaters' own families or that their reports 
or that other reports of tampering were urban legends and myths unfounded in fact. The damage had been done. People were afraid on Halloween, but less of the supernatural than of their own neighbors, which flies in the face of Halloween's community spirit. The scares about treats meant parents often checked candy, tossing anything that was unwrapped or that looked suspicious. People still gave out apples and homemade treats, but parents inspected apples to make sure the skin hadn't been broken, and I recall that many parents cut up any Halloween apples for kids. I vividly remember being a teenager in October 1982 and having baked and decorated some really cool cookies to pass out for Halloween when the tragic news reports came in that there were people who had been poisoned by Tylenol that had been tampered with. We immediately stomped our address, stamped our address on the bags for the cookies as a last-ditch effort in hopes that people wouldn't toss them, but that year we hardly had any trick-or-treaters. People feared tampering of anything on the store shelves, so random people passing out treats seemed even more suspect. We never saw homemade treats being passed out after that year, only completely sealed commercial treats, although trick-or-treating did make a rebound yet again. Even with the scares, Halloween and trick-or-treat never lost its magic through the 1970s and 80s. Another development that started in the early 70s and finally tapered down in the 90s was the resurgence of some major vandalism, especially in Detroit, where there was no amount of candy to assuage the vandals setting fires there. Not just a few fires, hundreds of arson fires were set over the days surrounding Halloween, especially on October 30th, to the point where people in those areas began using the name Devil's Night or Mischief Night for the night before Halloween. When the Devil's Night fires reached their pinnacle in 1994, city officials and residents banded together and patrolled neighborhoods. The number of fires dropped dramatically. And that's the close of our episode for this Saturday. So now we know why Mischief Night was moved to the night before Halloween. <laughs> um, and that's pretty, that's a pretty, actually a pretty sad part of Halloween history. Um, I don't know if this is totally true because it's been a while since I've checked the sources and I don't think the author knew about this if it was true or if they did, they just skimmed it over. But a lot of those attacks were sadly aimed at people who were bi or homosexual. A lot of the a lot of the places that went up in flames I heard were clubs where LGBT plus people hung out, and I think that's very sad. That that's just terrible. Um so yeah. Um but on the plus side though, um on the plus side, though, it's that Halloween did make a resurgence. I mean, I remember being a child in the 90s, a young child in the 90s, and I remember, well, trick-or-treat still had the aura that this author is talking about, where parents were worried about tampered sweets, but we still got to roam the streets and have fun in pretty large droves. I mean, I remember this one Halloween um, where I guess it was also a neighbor kid's birthday because they were having a big party across the street. And this kid was like five or six. They were only a little older than I was. I was like three or four. And I toddled over there with my parents and they uh, made us, they gave us some punch because, you know, they were having punch at the party. And they invited us in. 
And the reason I remember this was because that was the first time I ever got to watch Disney's Peter Pan. Um, I am not a big fan of Disney's Peter Pan, but I like the film as a piece of animation anyway. Um, and I, it just stuck to me because it was this beautifully animated picture. Um, and that's why I remember that. I remember walking over there in my costume and being invited in and sitting with the other kids drinking punch and watching Peter Pan. And I don't think I got to finish the movie because of course it was trick or treat night. So I had to keep hitting up houses, but you know, it happened and I remember it. <laughs> so I do remember, I remember a Halloween that was still pretty inviting, much better than it is today. And especially this year, because I don't imagine too many people are going to be even decorating this year, sadly, because of COVID-19. Um, but when I was a kid, and we need to go back to this. I mean, if if you're hearing this, and you have decorations, and you're a Halloween fan, decorate. Decorate as much as you possibly can. Light up your yard. Do anything you can to keep Halloween going this year. Wearing masks like we do every year <laughs> and uh lighting up your house as much as possible with your jack-o-lanterns your scarecrows your witches your zombies your vampires your ghosts everything doing everything you possibly can to still keep the halloween spirit you don't have to hand out candy if you want to you still can i mean i'm not going to stop you from like sanitizing the candy wearing gloves and a mask and handing it out in you know pre-wrapped bags but um, but please, please do anything you think you can to save Halloween this year. We need to keep Halloween out of COVID-19. That kind of rhymed. <laughs> well, anyway, um, I'll see you all next Saturday for Spooky Saturdays number eight. <laughs>